guess the main issue is, I don't know what it is you want from me. What is reasonable for you to expect? I mean, actually. Because, like, I've only got so much to say, you know? You want a quirky opener? Huh? You want some kind of mini-story before the main story? Huh? What, episode 14 of The Narrow Century isn't good enough for you on its own? Is that it? A podcast of Irregular Tales isn't enough to satisfy you goddamn jackals? You've got to have some kind of opening goof to go along with it? You know what? I'm not even going to do an intro for this one. That's right. Not a single gag. Choke on that. You poisonous goddamn leeches. They arrived shortly after nightfall. Headlights swung onto the long driveway off Harris Road, bumping and jerking up the gravel path. The Fosters watched from the window as the car approached, a vintage Volkswagen Beetle painted in a faded, almost jaundiced orange, with battered suitcases and crates lashed to the roof. "'That's... them?' asked Doug. He squeezed his youngest daughter, Maddie. "'It must be,' Heather replied. Maddie squirmed in her father's grip. "'Are they really going to take Mimi away?' she whined. Does she really have to go? I like her. Shush, sweetie, said Heather, without taking her eyes off the car. It swung around in a broad arc, and it was plain the driver was fighting against all the extra weight. The headlights passed across the front of the old house, casting the porch in strange shadows and catching the family in twin spotlights through the windows. The car crunched to a halt, and the lights switched off. Cat, their older daughter, shaded her eyes and peered out into the night with a smile on her face. What do you think they look like? Probably like the pictures, said Doug. He didn't sound sure. Heather looked at him and said, Dear, why don't you take Maddie upstairs? I'll greet them, get them, uh, settled. Yes, yeah, I think that's a good idea, said Doug, and he led Maddie back towards the stairs. She twisted around, complaining. I want to meet them. Shh, sweetie, Doug said. I don't think it's such a good idea for you to talk to them. Why not? Because... The doorbell rang, and Doug paused halfway up the stairs. Because they're not really the kind of women you get to know. Heather pulled the door open, and on the stoop were standing two women in their late twenties, nearly identical and worlds apart. One wore a knee-length skirt and a peacoat, with her sunny hair cropped short, while the other had her hair down to her hips, and kept her eyes concealed behind a pair of round sunglasses, so large they covered most of her eyebrows. She wore a fringed leather jacket and denim jeans. "'Mrs. Foster?' asked the short-haired one. "'Uh... "'Yes,' said Heather. After a moment, she stuck out a hand. "'A pleasure to meet you. I'm Lucy Fox.' She took Heather's hand and gestured to the woman beside her. "'And this is my sister, Peyton.' Peyton gave a gesture of vague acknowledgement and flicked a smoldering cigarette into the flower bed. Heather looked them up and down. Heather looked them up and down, keeping a firm grip on Lucy's hand until she jerked away a little too forcefully. 
So, she said, you two have come about the... presents? Lucy smiled. It's all right, Mrs. Foster, you can call it a ghost. She looked slightly past Heather. May we come in? Yes, please, certainly, Heather said, and ushered them through into the living room. As they passed, Cat continued staring at the car with an incredulous smirk. Peyton noticed and said, frowning, Something wrong with our ride? Cat shook her head. Just not really what I expected. What, you were thinking a hearse, maybe? Cat tried to suppress her smile. Or something. Heather gave her daughter a stern look. Cat, don't be rude. She turned back towards Lucy, who was shrugging off her coat. Uh, can I offer you some coffee? Tea? Thanks, none for me, beamed Lucy. Caffeine tends to play havoc with our, uh, sensitivity. You're what? asked Cat. Peyton scowled. Our psychic mojo. I prefer to explain it as our ability to act as mediums for communication, said Lucy. She walked through into the living room, casting an approving eye around the furniture and decor. I think it would be best if we got down to the heart of the issue. She gestured to the couch. May I? Yes, uh, sure, certainly, Heather said. She, Lucy, and Cat all sat down, but Peyton continued to prowl along the outer edges of the room, with her fingers splayed as if running them through invisible threads of gossamer. Lucy pulled up in her bag and withdrew a reel-to-reel tape recorder the size of a large dictionary, a microphone with a tabletop stand, and a spiral-bound notebook. She noticed Heather's confused look and said, We like to keep extensive records of our findings. What we do is a fringe field of study for now, but we're learning more every day. Hopefully the work we're doing can help legitimize the field. Cat leaned back in her chair. Well, you must have an awful lot of tape in that car. I heard you guys have done this, like, a few hundred times. Lucy shrugged and laughed. No more than a couple dozen, I'm afraid. Uh, That's good publicity, though. Oh, said Cat, folding her arms. That's not much, considering how long you've been doing this. The sister paused in her work and furrowed her brow, gazing off into space for a moment. Not that long. A few years, or so. She seemed lost in thought. Heather cleared her throat. Uh, Peyton, can I help you? What are you doing? Peyton didn't bother turning around. Psychic mojo, like I said, she grunted. Your younger daughter is upstairs. Heather's mouth opened. How? I never told you about... She looked to Lucy. I never mentioned how many daughters I have. How did she know that? Lucy rolled her eyes as she tweaked the dials on the recording unit. Peyton likes to show off, she said. Our sensitivity is useful in charting the spiritual landscape of a given space. Different spirits give off different energies, that's all. Peyton continued to circle the room. You've been living here for a few months, she explained. So I can feel you, your daughters, a middle-aged man, probably your dear hubby. She turned around to look at Heather, her expression carefully neutral. And a fourth woman. Someone older. Peyton leaned forward. Someone dead. Peyton, Lucy warned, don't try to scare them. It's not nice. Uh, no. No. Heather tried to wave it off, but had gone a shade pale. I suppose we'd already figured that much out, or else we wouldn't have... She stopped and swallowed. Well, called you two. 
All right, then, said Lucy. She carefully pressed two switches on the recorder, and the reels whirred to life. She nudged the microphone over toward Heather and poised her pen above the notebook. Why don't you explain it all from the beginning? Doug Foster listened from the upstairs landing while his wife explained the last few months to the Fox sisters. He knew that he should have been down there, telling it from his own point of view. He had taken the brunt of the strange occurrences in their new home. But, of course, that was exactly why he didn't feel comfortable talking with them. It began almost as soon as they had finished moving in. The house was perfect, at least on paper, but his first night there had not been pleasant. He hadn't been able to sleep, and whenever he got up, he felt a sense of hostile watchfulness. Even when he could sleep, his dreams were wild and dark, and he would wake up to find himself drenched with sweat while the memories of those nightmares slipped away. Doug had kept quiet about it at first. Heather and the girls loved the new house, and he didn't want to rain on their parade or suggest that he wasn't man enough to deal with a few bad dreams. Soon after, the noises began. Knocks and clicks in the walls, scratching from under the floorboards, bells chiming from nowhere late at night and in the early morning. As weeks turned into months, he became increasingly sure that there was something in the house that didn't want him there, something that locked doors behind him and turned off lights when he was alone. When he finally broke down and tried to explain what he'd seen and heard, he was half afraid that he was going crazy, but bit by bit they discovered that each of them had experienced things in the house they couldn't explain. Cat and Heather had also heard the noises and had felt an inexplicable presence in certain rooms and a voice late at night at the very edge of hearing. Even Maddie knew there was someone else there with them. "'Please don't let them get rid of Mimi,' said Maddie from behind Doug. He jumped slightly. "'I'll miss her. She doesn't want to hurt anyone.' Doug knelt down and put an arm around his daughter. "'I... I know she doesn't, sweetie, I know. But she can't stay here. She can't keep doing... what she does. But why?' Doug didn't want to tell her the truth. He didn't want to tell her how scared he was. Because it's against the rules, sweetie. She can't stay. Even though the rest of the family had heard and felt many of the same things as him, they hadn't felt the same hostility. They'd felt enveloped in a sense of security and warmth, and sleep always seemed to come easily for them. Maddie talked about a voice that came to her in her sleep, the voice of an old woman. Maddie would forget the words, but remember that they were good and kind and sensible. The haunting only got worse after they realized they weren't imagining it. Computers, phones, any sorts of electronics would reboot themselves all at the same time. Entire rooms would go ice cold even in high summer, and throughout the house lights would turn on and off by themselves in sequence, following an invisible patrol. Heather and Doug started sleeping on the screen porch, which made his dreams more tolerable, but it was clear that they couldn't continue to live this way. Maddie was probably right when she said that she didn't want to hurt anybody, but Doug, Heather, and Kat all eventually agreed that if her presence was only going to get stronger, then it was best that they get rid of the ghost as soon as possible.
The Fox sisters were a last resort. They tried six or seven different denominations of priests, local mediums, professional skeptics, reality TV personalities, and attic-dwelling cranks who'd watched Ghostbusters too many times. They'd combed the internet for solutions, then searched public libraries, then university catalogs, then started calling private collectors with vast stacks of wrinkled manuscripts kept in lightless basements beneath condemned brick buildings. Finally, in a cramped and incense-choked storefront down an alley in Brockton, Massachusetts, the shopkeeper had offered them a solution. A business card. Lucy flipped her notebook shut and leaned forward to stop the tape recorder. "'Well,' she said, "'that all seems fairly straightforward.' Cat laughed. "'Does it?' Peyton shrugged. "'Nothing we haven't dealt with before.' "'We'll still need to do some research, of course,' said Lucy, carefully stowing the recording and tucking the whole apparatus back into her bag. "'Check out the library, see if we can get access to municipal records, maybe the archives from a local newspaper, the usual sources, see if we can't dig something up about the house's past.' Peyton nudged her sister, giving a faint smile. "'Yeah, the homework. Your favorite part.' "'Well,' said Gad, pulling out a stack of printed pages, "'we actually kinda already did all that.' She held out the papers for Lucy to take. Couple Google searches, couple of emails. Not hard, really. Lucy snatched them up and started leafing through them. "'Let me look at—' "'Yes. Yes, I think this is what we're looking for.' The other sister was still staring at Cat. "'Where did you say you found these?' Cat pursed her lips, and her eyes flicked over to her mother, who had a stern expression. "'I mean, you know,' Cat said. "'The usual sources, like you said.' "'Peyton, take a look at this,' said Lucy, and offered up a sheet that showed a scanned newspaper clipping, an obituary dated 1908. It read, "'Sybil Osgood, mother to many, passes away at eighty-one. In the picture, a stern-looking woman was gazing at the camera with her hands folded, flanked on both sides by a group of what appeared to be maids. Behind them, unmistakable, was the house that they were currently sitting in. Cat said, Sybil inherited the house from her family in, like, 1880, and turned it into a boarding house, S. Osgood's home for girls. After she died, she left all her money in the house to one of her staff, Rebecca Pike. The place stayed open until 1917, when the money finally ran out. Pike lived here alone until she died in 1922, and the place was left empty for another 25 years, until it was reclaimed by the city, sold to the bank, then auctioned off. A couple of people have lived here since then. Heather shuddered and pulled several sheets out of the stack, other scans of newspapers, and a more recent article published online about the house's history. A couple of those families, uh, reported things— but never anything as—she looked up at the sisters before going on—present as what we've seen. Hmm, murmured Peyton. I guess that leaves me wondering why Sybil didn't speak up for more than thirty years. More than seventy, said Cat. Peyton looked at her. What? You mean more than seventy. Pike died in 1922, and the house was empty until forty-seven, and Sybil didn't start really talking until now. Seventy. "'Cat,' Heather murmured. "'They don't need every little detail.' "'Whatever. Decades,' said Peyton. "'It's not important. "'The question is, why was she mostly harmless for a long time?' "'And what does it want with my husband?' asked Heather. 
The sisters glanced at each other, and Peyton shrugged. I'm going to do a walkthrough, she said, moving toward the kitchen. See if I can stir anything up. Heather looked to Lucy in alarm. What did she mean, stir something up? Is it dangerous? No, no, of course not, said Lucy. She's just being dramatic. Sometimes we need to spend some extra time probing before we can really get to work. Cat leaned forward. What kind of work? she asked. Lucy bit her lip, then smiled as she rose to her feet. I think I'd better go with Peyton. More eyes on the problem, you know? Do you mind if I come along? asked Cat, starting to get up before her mother stopped her with a glare. Cat, Heather said, I think it would be better to leave them to their business, don't you? Cat looked like she wanted to argue, but Heather's expression stopped her. Fine, she said, and slumped back into the chair with her arms folded. Whatever. Lucy was glad to have a reason to excuse herself, and she followed her sister as quickly as she could. She did her best to tune out the low, urgent tones coming from the living room. It wasn't her place to eavesdrop. Hey, Luce, said Peyton. She was standing by the sink, holding her hand about an inch above the faucet. Peyton, nodded Lucy, getting anything from the structure of the house? Peyton shrugged. Not really. She seems like more of a fluid aura than something worked into the bones of the place. Lucy held out a hand and closed her eyes. Hmm, could be. Maybe since it was a residence before it was the boarding house, her spirit never got anchored into the foundations. She quickly pulled out her notebook and started scribbling. She doesn't have roots, said Peyton. She was casting her gaze all around the room. All she's got is purpose. Lucy nodded. This is good. This is good stuff. I wish we had time to run some more extensive tests. There's probably useful data here. Well, why can't you? Peyton asked, cocking her head with a smirk. These fosters don't really know what is and isn't crucial. Lucy bit her lip and shook her head and snapped her notebook shut. No, no. We should get this wrapped up as soon as possible. They seem pretty on edge. Two of them don't even want to talk to us. It's pretty plain that sooner is better. So what? said Peyton. These guys are weirdos. Who cares if they get a little jumpy? Uh, Peyton, I don't think we're in a position to call them weird, said Lucy. Peyton waved her off. Come on, I'm talking about baseline here. Have you seen they don't even have a phone? Lucy frowned. That can't be right. How'd they call us, then? Hell if I know, Peyton said. And that cat kid's a nosy little twerp. Hey, don't be mean, Lucy said. I think she's just interested. Jealous, maybe. I think she wants to get into the field. Peyton looked incredulous. So what? You're thinking we could use an apprentice? Lucy didn't answer immediately. Peyton grinned. Please tell me you're joking. I mean, not cat, said Lucy, obviously. But is it such a bad idea, overall? Lucy, there's hardly enough room for us in the car. We can always get a different car, said Lucy, and Peyton snorted. No, seriously, Peyton, we've been at this for a while now. Why shouldn't we start thinking about passing some of this knowledge on? Peyton turned away, fanning out her fingers again and closing her eyes. I mean, whatever. Lucy folded her arms and watched her sister continue the circuit around the kitchen. What is it? she asked at length. What do you hate about the idea of getting this research out there? Peyton shrugged without looking at Lucy. Hey, I don't have a problem with it, and the research isn't my bag anyway. If you're so ready to square off with the dicks at Harvard or whatever, you can go ahead. 
Peyton, don't be like that, said Lucy. What? Peyton said, turning around at last. You think I'm keeping you here? Come on, let's take a week, head up to New England, get some grant money in this operation, huh? Lucy glared at Peyton, her lips pursed, then looked down. We're not ready. You know we're not ready. I need more data. Peyton nodded. I mean, I guess I don't really know. I know you think so. I'm totally happy just spinning our wheels out here. I know you are, Peyton, said Lucy with a wan smile. To tell the truth, I think I'm scared of taking it back. They stood there together in silence, with only the muffled voices from the living room and the thrum of the refrigerator. Then, at the same time, both of their gazes shot up. Did you feel that? asked Peyton. Yep, said Lucy. Upstairs bedroom. Sybil's here. Let's go. Right behind you, Luce. They ran into Doug at the top of the stairs, and he visibly started when he saw them. Oh, uh, hello. Peyton scowled, but Lucy said, You must be Mr. Foster. How do you do? I'm Lucy Fox. She smiled and extended a hand. Instead of taking it, Doug pulled Maddie up into his arms. I'm, uh, fine, thanks, he said. His gaze flicked back and forth between the foxes, as if he was expecting them to charge. You, yourselves? How are you? Lucy and Peyton looked at each other. They weren't quite sure how to respond. Please don't take Mimi away, said Maddie from her father's arms. Oh, said Lucy, and who are you? I'm Maddie. Please don't get rid of Mimi. I like her. Who's Mimi? asked Lucy. Doug cleared his throat. He wasn't comfortable with how close they were to his daughter, but he couldn't exactly run away and barricade himself in the bathroom. Mimi's, uh, Mimi is Heather's mom. Maddie just sort of calls any older lady Mimi. So, Mimi is Sybil? Lucy asked Maddie. The girl shrugged. I guess. Are you really going to take Mimi? Where's she going to go? Can I visit her? Peyton snorted, and before Lucy could explain, Doug retreated rapidly down the hallway. Well, I think it's about bedtime for you, huh, Maddie? He said. But I'm not tired. You never are, sweetie, Doug murmured. Lucy waved. It was nice meeting, but they had already vanished into the young girl's room. Hmm, said Lucy. Nice kid. Nice guy, Peyton scoffed. What's his deal? Lucy shrugged. He's scared. Sybil's been targeting him. Well, yeah, but why does he seem scared of us? Couldn't tell you, Lucy said, shaking her head. Association? Peyton grunted. Well, whatever. Come on, I think I felt something from over in the master bedroom. After he finished putting Maddie to bed, Doug carefully crept toward the stairs. He stopped just shy of tiptoeing, but the foxes didn't appear, and he made his way back down into the living room. His wife and cat were still arguing. Look, don't act like I'm telling you to wear a muzzle, hissed Heather. I'm just telling you to stop, you know. Stop what? demanded Cat. I'm just talking, just making conversation, trying to be a good host. Don't take that tone with me, Catherine. You know just what I mean. What happened? Did something happen? asked Doug. Heather threw up her hands. Cat keeps, I don't know, poking them. "'asking them all kinds of questions.' "'Doug took a seat and looked at his daughter sternly. "'Sweetie,' he said, "'I wish you'd take this a little more seriously.' "'What do you mean seriously?' Cat laughed. 
This is absurd. Both of them are absurd. I mean, did you seek their clothes? And the way Lucy was going to spend three days at the library? Cat, growled Doug. He gave a meaningful look upstairs. Not so loud. Cat held up her hands in mock surrender. Okay, God, I'll try to keep it low-key. I mean, what do you think's actually going to happen? What am I going to hurt by talking? Ugh, I don't know. That's the point, said Doug, rubbing his temples. We don't actually know what they're capable of, or, or, or how any of this works. He slumped back in a chair and shook his head. This was a mistake. Don't worry about it, said Cat. I mean, who can do it if they can't? Heather reached out and squeezed his hand. Come on, dear, she said. Let's give it a little more time. If we just leave them alone, she punctuated this with a sharp glance at Cat, they should be able to deal with it and be out of our hair in no time. I hope you're right, groaned Doug. The old woman was one thing, but inviting them in feels like it's opening us up to something bigger. He glanced upstairs. I just hope Maddie never finds out what this all is. Maddie tottered over to her bedroom door on the balls of her feet and pressed her ear to it. Nothing. Slowly, ever so slowly, she gripped the handle and pulled the door open, just a crack. She could see that on the other side of the upstairs hall, the light was on in her parents' room. Maddie bit her lip. Her mom and dad hadn't told her much about the strange woman who had come to take Mimi away, but she knew she didn't like them. There was something tricky about them, and she got a funny feeling when they looked at her. But she didn't have a choice. This was her only chance to convince them that they had to let Mimi stay. Her bare feet slapped almost silently against the hardwood floor of the upstairs landing, and she waited two seconds between each step. In the lighted room ahead of her, she couldn't hear anything. "'Miss Lucy?' she whispered when she came to the door. It was slightly ajar. She could see a flickering light coming from within. "'Miss—' Suddenly, Peyton appeared at the door, her glasses like reflective moons beaming down at Maddie. The young girl let out a peep of alarm. Peyton cocked her head. Hey, squirt, she said. Up past bedtime? No, said Maddie. She felt her cheeks flush hot. My dad said I could stay up a little later and watch you... She swallowed. Do ghost things. Peyton looked at her for a moment, then pulled the door open and ushered her in with a smirk. Inside, candles were burning. They sat on the wardrobe and the shelves and the bedside tables and the chest of drawers and on the floor... Lucy was stooping to light one of them, and as she shook out the match, she saw Maddie. What? Peyton, what's she doing here? Maddie spoke first. You gotta let Mimi stay. She's good. She doesn't want to hurt anybody. Lucy looked at Peyton incredulously. We've got to get her back to bed. Nah, she'd just make a fuss and get in trouble, said Peyton. Better if we just keep her quiet in here with us. It's fine. Hey, said Maddie, I am talking. Well, Lucy gave Maddie a doubtful look. All right, Maddie, what's the matter? You can't take Mimi, Maddie repeated. It's not right. She didn't do anything wrong. She reached into the pocket of her pajamas and pulled out a badly stretched tube sock loaded with nickels and crumpled dollar bills. She held it up to Lucy. If you tell my mom and dad you can't get rid of Mimi, you can have everything in my money sock. Lucy examined the sock. How much do you have in there? $23.89. Maddie suddenly grew worried. Why? My mom and dad aren't giving you more. 
Lucy smiled and shook her head. Uh, look, Maddie, the thing about Mimi is... She thought for a moment before going on. How do you know she likes it here? she asked. Maddie was quiet. Lucy went on. See, spirits like Sybil, like your Mimi, they're stuck in place. They get stuck at work. Does your daddy ever work late? My mom does. Peyton said, and I bet she doesn't like it, huh? Maddie frowned. I guess not. She's mad when she comes back sometimes. She says she wishes she could spend more time with Cat and me. Mimi's like that, Lucy said, and kneeled down to bring her eyes level with Maddie. When she used to live here, it was her job to take care of people like you, and she's still doing that, and has been for a really long time. Maddie stamped her foot. But she likes it. She likes us. I'm sure she does. I'm sure she does, Maddie, said Lucy. But she's stuck here. She's just doing her job, and that can get really tiring, like with your mom. I don't want her to go, though, said Maddie. Peyton bent down, too. You gotta squirt. Keeping her here is just mean. You don't want to be mean, right? Maddie looked at the floor. She didn't want them to see the tears pricking her eyes. No, she said. I guess not. She sniffed. Am I ever going to see her again? Lucy and Peyton looked at each other for a second, then Peyton leaned in closer to Maddie. I'll tell you what. Lucy and I can hold off talking to Mimi for a bit. I bet if you get back in bed, you can probably fall asleep in time to tell her goodbye. How does that sound? Maddie nodded. Okay, she said. Okay. Peyton got to her feet and quietly ushered the young girl back into the hall. She watched as Maddie scurried over to her room, pulled the door shut, and vanished from sight. Well, said Lucy, rubbing her hands together, that could have gone worse. Peyton shook her head. I guess so. I still feel bad. Lucy cocked her head at her sister. What, you? Now who wants an apprentice? Shut up, said Peyton. All I mean is... I don't know what I mean. What makes it such a bad thing that Sybil's here? She's not hurting anyone, right? Lucy shrugged. I guess not. But it's not her house anymore. She doesn't know that, said Peyton. Look, are you even so sure you want to do this? Snapped Lucy. Because it seems like you're trying awfully hard to talk me out of it. Peyton's eyebrows shot up in surprise at the force of her sister's rebuke. Uh, yeah, sure. She shook her head. Sorry, Luce. I don't know what I'm saying. This thing's got me all turned around somehow. Let's get this ghost train rolling, okay? Fine by me, said Lucy. She and Peyton circled the room, lighting the last few candles. Then they met in the center, joining hands. And then they began to sing. Downstairs, Heather could hear them from the kitchen. The tuneless sound of their voices carried, but the words were inaudible, and the sound raised goosebumps along her arms. She strained her ears, trying to make out anything more than the mingling tones. Cat wandered into the kitchen as well, looking up in the direction the sounds were coming from, and Doug followed shortly behind. They all stood in silence, listening to the Fox sisters and their melancholy song. Cat shook her head, 
and in a low murmur asked, Do you think they were always like this? The ritual did its work. The chemicals and the candles filled the room. The vibrations of their voices seemed to shake the world to pieces. To the sisters, it felt as though the walls of the bedroom were slowly dropping away from them. Sybil was there. The three of them danced around each other, letting the shape of the ritual define the shape of their conversation. The Fox sisters probed at Sybil. Sybil probed at them. They told her that she was dead, and had been dead for some time. Sybil pondered this for a while, and then agreed. That made the most sense to her, now that she thought of it. She asked them what they wanted from her, and they explained that the time had come for her to leave behind the role she had played for more than a hundred years. She asked them what role they thought she was better suited for, and Lucy suggested that she could join her family. She asked them what family they thought was waiting for her. The sisters had no answer, so Sybil went on. She told them about her father, and the fathers of the girls she had taken in after the house was hers. She told them about the decades after she had died, and the people who'd come to the house in need of shelter, always chasing something or running from something. She told them about the family there now. A bitterness leaked from her teeth, and a wariness that could drown whole cities. Lucy asked her why she remained if the work was such a burden. What kept her watching these people if there was no joy in it for her? They knew she was not bound to the house. Her sense of purpose was the only thing keeping her there. Sybil scoffed, and the whole of the space around them rippled and bent at the sound. She asked them whether it was any place that bound the girls. She chided them for their selfishness. What did they understand about doing right? The three of them were silent for a time before Sybil continued. She told them that she was trapped after all. Doing good was its own kind of trap, it turned out. A soul comes to need it after a while. The day came that she couldn't possibly turn away a girl in need of help, even when she wanted to. The day came that her life was over, and she couldn't be useful any longer. But she could not turn away those in need. How? asked Sybil. Was she supposed to move on from that task when she had given her soul to it so completely? Lucy told Sybil that she couldn't stay there any longer. Sybil asked where she was supposed to go. Peyton told Sybil that she couldn't stay there any longer. Sybil asked what she was supposed to do. The sisters told her that it wasn't their concern and prepared to cast her out. Sybil drew close and murmured to them in the slightest whisper. It was less than a voice, and yet it resounded in their ears like a thundering midnight anxiety. It should be. Maddie floated on the cresting wave of sleep. Thoughts and images raced through her mind in the way of half-molded dreams on the verge of taking shape. She pictured headlights swerving through heavy rain, the whirling of a rotary dial, the bubbling of candle wax. She wanted to sleep. She knew she didn't have much time before. She felt someone lurking at her elbow in the darkness of the room. She tried to turn her head, 
but she could not will herself to look. Someone was there in the room with her, someone she desperately wanted to see. Maddie tried to speak, but no words would come, only lead-hot tears. She could hear the rustling of grey crinolines and the clack of measured footfalls. A sob choked her throat as the door opened and threw a beam of light across her bed with the warped shadow of the figure poised in the frame. That shape paused for a moment, one hand on the frame, one on the handle. Then, with only the slightest whisper of a sigh, it flowed out of sight, pulling the door behind it as it went. The rest of the Fosters were sitting in silence in the living room when they heard the footfall on the stairs. They looked up and saw the Fox sisters coming down to meet them. All done, said Peyton. Uh, are you sure? asked Doug. Lucy nodded. Once we'd made contact, it was simple enough to compel her to leave. Sybil Osgood won't bother you again, Mr. Foster. Cat peered around the room. The house doesn't seem any different. How do you know it's ghost-free? We know, Peyton snapped. We'd know better than you, yeah? But, Heather said, I still don't understand why it got so bad. What did it want with Doug? She saw him as an intruder, said Lucy, one man in a house full of women, close to what she wanted, but not quite there yet, and she couldn't understand that the house wasn't what it used to be. Ghosts can't change on their own. They need a push to get out of their rut. Peyton held out her hands and gave a curt bow. The push, courtesy of the Fox sisters. Nothing to get worked up over. Heather walked them back to the front door and shook their hands. I, uh, don't know how to thank you enough, she said. It's so strange to see someone at home with all this. Happy to help, Mrs. Foster. Just doing our job, said Lucy. Cat appeared in the hall. So where are you ladies heading next? Back home? Got another job in the works? The foxes looked at her for a moment, and Heather gave a nervous laugh. Cat, there is no need to pester them. I'm sure we've taken up quite enough of their time. She pulled the door open and held it for the sisters. No doubt you're eager to get back on the road. Peyton let out a growl as she threw herself down on the driver's seat and groped for the seat belt. Thanks for the help, girls, she said. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Lucy smirked and said, Peyton, I've never taken you as one to bask in praise. I'm not, Peyton looked affronted. I'm just... I don't like... Lucy waved it off. Easy, easy, no need to get touchy. Peyton sat in silence without moving to start the car. Peyton, Lucy said, really, you can feel however you want. I didn't really care for them either. Her sister heaved a sigh. It's not that, really she said. I was just... I was thinking about how I teased you. You know, earlier. Relax, laughed Lucy. It's a small car. If I couldn't deal with you, I wouldn't be here. Peyton pulled off her sunglasses and shook her head. I know, I know. But I shouldn't give you a hard time for not having this whole ghost-hunting business as your be-all, end-all. Lucy frowned. Hold on, I'm just as serious about... Peyton cut her off. I, I know you're serious about this business, she said. But I do also know that you're not really built for life on the road. Me, I'll wind up choking if I stay in one place too long. I had to drag you out of grad school kicking and screaming, and I know this has just got to be a temporary gig for you. 
Peyton let her gaze slip out the window toward the dark space beyond the trees. You'll settle down. Write that book. Win a hundred Nobels. Whatever. Peyton squeezed her sister's arm. I just want... She stopped and looked down. That's all in the future. There's time for that. We're still young. I just want it to be the two of us out here a little longer. You know? Lucy breathed out, and she took Peyton's hand. Sure. I understand. Peyton nodded and slid the key into the ignition. She started to tuck the sunglasses back up under her hair, but Lucy slapped at her hand, laughing. Put those away! It's pitch black out! You're gonna wrap this old junker around a tree! Fine, fine, whatever you say, Mom, said Peyton, and tossed them into the glove compartment. Let's hit the road. Inside, the Fosters watched the car headlights flicker to life and waited in silence as it sputtered off down the driveway until at last it turned the bend onto Harris Road and faded from sight. Doug let out a sigh of relief. Thank God, he said. For a minute I was afraid they weren't going to leave. Cat was grinning from ear to ear. That was freaky. I really don't think they knew. Is that true? How couldn't they, Heather said. I don't know, but it seemed like they still thought it was the 70s. I mean, you saw Peyton's clothes. Doug held up a hand. God, please, don't mention their names again, at least not until we get their card out of the house. I don't want to risk them coming back. I can't believe I let you two talk me into this. He walked back into the living room and threw himself down on the couch. Heather followed. Honey, it's done now. The guy at the shop said they wouldn't come unless there was already another ghost for them to deal with. All the same, said Doug, and opened the drawer in the end table, pulling out a small sheet of plastic and brandishing it. I'm taking this thing back to Brockton first thing in the morning. It's no more natural than whoever or whatever was here to begin with. Cat was still at the window, peering out into the darkness. Where do you think they go? she asked. When they're not doing their thing. Are they actually anywhere? I don't know, and I don't care, Doug moaned, and tossed the thing down on the coffee table. It was a small plastic screw case, the kind used to protect valuable baseball cards, but the papers inside were far past mint condition. One of them was a business card, and read, Fox Sisters, Investigators, Exorcists, Consultants, Reachable by Remote Answering Machine, followed by a phone number. The reverse side presented a yellowed newspaper clipping, stained with age and all but powdered under the plastic. At the top was a photograph of two young women, standing with arms over each other's shoulders, in front of a battered 70s Volkswagen. A headline ran below. Kook Sisters Killed in Car Crash on the morning of August 22, 1978, the bodies of two young women, Lucy and Peyton Fox, were discovered in the wreck of their vehicle near Swamp Flat Road outside of Denton, North Carolina. The sisters, minor celebrities for their fantastical work as freelance paranormal investigators, were determined to have been caught in heavy rain the night before and spun out of control before striking a large rock at high speed. Deputy Sheriff Ben Cunning suggested that the rapid pace was a result of a planned appointment at the Davidson County Public Library, where they were to investigate, quote, some foolishness or another. Head librarian Penelope Lindbaugh was confirmed to have made the appointment, but refused to comment on the accident or the victims. Local sources who asked to remain unnamed. The article was cut off there.
Cat pressed her nose up against the glass of the bay window, trying to catch any remaining sign of the car. It had vanished entirely from view, and her smile broadened. It's just nuts, she said. They seem so there, you know? On the road, rain was starting to spatter onto the windshield. Peyton groped for the wipers, but they wouldn't start, and she cursed under her breath and leaned forward to squint into the gloom. All around them there was nothing to see except where the road appeared before the high beams and vanished from under their tail lights. Peyton glanced at the passenger seat and saw Lucy winding through the tape from their last case. "'Give it a break, Lucy,' she said, and half-heartedly swatted at the box. "'Put on the radio instead. Give me something to focus on, you know?' Lucy gave an exaggerated sigh and started scanning through the channels, her fingertips illuminated by the glow of the radio. "'What do you think?' Lucy asked. "'Try for the news this time, or just keep in your comfort zone?' "'Please, Luce, all I need is noise,' Peyton groaned. The dial spun, and the needle ambled across the display, and the battered old bug went whistling down the empty road, and the raindrops danced on the boxes tied to the top. But for the life of her, all that Lucy could pick up was static. The Narrow Century, episode 14, Zeitgeist, was written and performed by Gordon Graham. Music was provided, with permission, by Petunia and the Vipers and Darlingside. For written material and further episodes, visit narrowcentury.com. <laughs>